Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurysport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos, and Brad, we're back in Bath. We are back on TV for Eurosport and GCN, uh, and we're all back for the, the first Grand Tour of the season. Yes, and we've got all the Chinois with us. <laughs> all the Chinois. Chinois, Chinois, sorry. Close sorry, enough, yes. Brad. We brought, you know, brought new energy to the studio. It's good to have you back. Orla, well, thanks. It's good to be back. You've put up with Brad all day. Yeah. And now you're joining us, joining us for the podcast. So thank you. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I haven't had to um, put up with Brad. Like, I wouldn't put it like that, though. It's only day one, so it's been good so one. far. Wait till day two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go for day 21, all right. Day two, we'll, we'll plunge early. Um, I should ask then, because Brad, it's been a few weeks for you yeah. and me as well. How, how are you both? Good, yeah. Yeah, um, um, it's nice to be back, actually. And um, it doesn't seem like too long ago we were at the Giro the last time, was it, when Teo was no, doing no. his thing? So, uh, what is it, seven months? Yeah, and it's nice to have it back in May. You know, we get that kind of mix-up of... You know who's going to target what race and whether they do the Giro Tour double and this, that, and the other. But already, what a brilliant start, Philippe Gana. A superstar, and we'll come to that. Um, but all first, we should really start your welcome back party by. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's by, crack open the. <laughs> let's go. The champagne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how how was your uh, sort of reintroduction to the UK? What what's what's the process been for quarantining and because Amsterdam is is your base, obviously. Yeah. Very straightforward, really. Um, so I flew over on Sunday and then I had to quarantine for five days. Um, but it's been, and then I did an early test to release thing, but it's actually been, dare I say, quite pleasant. I can say this because my husband probably isn't listening from Amsterdam. Um, oh, he it, is. He's on the line now. <laughs> Hans, are you there? <laughs> uh, no, I've got, I've got two young kids and my usual life is trying to juggle work with um, family life. So um, it was actually quite nice to just lock myself in a room for five days and just work, mm. you know. So it's been very refreshing. I had my yoga mat out. I've been to my yoga, my meditation. I'm feeling very zen at this stage. So, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's and well I don't have COVID, which, which is, is always important. the advantage of quarantine because you've got to test yourself. And it's yeah. it's always the, the most healthy I feel when my negative test comes back. So what have we missed, Brad, while, while you and me have been away? Amstel Gold, let's start with that. Amstel Gold, um, yeah, Walt Van Aert. But more importantly, Tom Pidcock. Yeah. and, and I mean, the... I, you know, everyone is fully aware of how good he is and how good he's meant to be, you know, how good he's going to be. But I say how good he's going to be. He's already there. Um, I don't, I think it's the closest finish ever in cycling. Would you, well, one off? Well, But there was quite a few it's... different sort of, I saw a few different photographs. Yeah, different angles. Yeah. But it was really reminiscent of the woman's Brabant's appeal um, yeah. a few weeks before it. And I, I'm... I think that actually, although I couldn't find confirmation of it, but I think that the fraction of a second, which is like four thousands or something, yeah. was exactly the same as Brabant's appeal. But it's the yeah. closest in men's racing, certainly in a long. Which time. Tom won as well, didn't he? Tom won Brabant's appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what a start to his professional career? Um, Ex-team Wiggins rider, British Cycling Academy rider, and he's got some, you know, 
big, big days ahead of him. I'll tell you, that guy's going to be something special in cycling. Yes, and, and an awesome uh, start to his Ineos career too. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to be... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you know this Ineos, team well. So, yeah. so what are they going to be looking at now? Will their plans for him have changed given his performance over the spring? It could well be, and I think cycling's like that now. It's um, as good as you are, you get your chance, really. And I think Teo proved that last year. Um, um, Remco, of course, Egan Bernal winning the Tour at 21. You know, these... Um, you know, we've got Pogacar, you know, of course, won a few weeks later. Um, the sport is getting younger and younger from the point of view of um, not having to wait your time. Mm. Um, and Tom Pidcock, although they'll nurse him and he, he's clearly ready for this, for this, you know, to go 250, 260-odd kilometres in Amstel Gold and get pipped by Walt Van Aert in a sprint, <laughs> who's a Tour de France sprinter as well as many other things, um, is... is I wouldn't underestimate just how big a performance that was. Mm. And he's riding with a maturity that um, you know, I've not seen the like of in a young rider for, for a long time. You know, I think that finish and the closeness of the finish sums up yeah. an awful lot about racing right now and cycling yeah. right now. And we've we've maybe said it for a few years in terms of the youth that's coming through, but I, f I feel like we're in such an exciting time in cycling right now. And the closeness of those two and the calibre of the two of them um, Walt van Aert excites me so much. It was what good he for Dutch do. cycling, wasn't it? Well, he's Belgian. Yeah, but, but for, yeah, for the, the young Dutch. Bo they almost consider him Dutch. They do, they do. Yeah. They very much adopt him. Um, and, and it's, it's, he's got Dutch yeah. heritage as well, yeah. I think. He's not far from the border. But I just, he excites me anyway. His style of racing excites me, but there are lots of them like that. And I love seeing these guys coming from, from cyclocross. And I, I tweeted something about Pidcock when he won Brabant's Appeal that I think some people sort of misunderstood but I was saying it was almost remarkable that that was his first professional win and some people were were taking that as if to say that he should have won already by now what I meant was I feel like we, we've known about Pidcock's talents for such a long time and obviously he won the Baby Giro as we call it last year but he's got such huge potential that he's delivered on already. I was just surprised that that was his first win because I feel like it was confirmation of what we knew already that he's a supreme talent. Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, yeah, he's, um, we don't know what his potential is. Mm. I think he could win the Tour de France one day. Mm. I really do. Talking man who has won the Tour de France, Pogaccia out sprinting Alaphilippe yeah. to the line at Liège, Baston Liège. I mean, we're blessed with such great mm. riders at the moment, young riders. Yeah. You know, we've, um, we've been so used over the years to talk about the nibblies of this world and that and, you know, Gilbert and these guys, but, um, it's this generation have just come through a lot earlier now, um, and it's brilliant to watch. But yeah, Pogacar, I mean, he's if that that was certainly wasn't a fluke in the pan. We saw what he did at the the Vuelta the year before when he was winning the mountain stages there. Um, Tour de France winner winning Liège Best on Liège. It, you know, it happened last year due to Alaphilippe's sort of kind of disqualification and salute, wasn't it? When um, Primoz won, but. Um, Obviously, Primoz didn't win the Tour de France, but he was up there in the Tour. And it's, yeah. it's great to see now with the calendar back where it should be um, a Tour de France winner um, up there early season competing yeah. in the Classics. And one more for you, Kasper Asgren outpowering Mathieu van der Poel to the line yeah. at, the, at the Tour of Flanders. Again, and certainly not one that I predicted. Uh, yeah, and Mathieu is probably the disappointment for me this mm -hmm. spring mm -hmm. because that Tureno stage that he won mm -hmm. where he just dominated, it looked like, God, this guy's going to... And um, I feel a little bit sorry for him, really, because we expect so much from him, don't we? That when he does, when he gets second in the Tour of Flanders, it's like, oh, you know, I said he got second in the Tour of Flanders. It's a shame, really. I don't know what, what Dutch cycling made of it, did they, in the newspapers? Yeah, huge disappointment. Really, he, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the thing His is... His father was quite critical of him, wasn't he? Was that was that just misreported in the press about... I missed that. Um, Adri was saying that he's he's not com not completely happy with his riding stage, riding too aggressively and leaves himself too much work to do. Um 
and I, got, I heard that through English commentary, but that, that might have been misreported. Yeah, I'll have to check out the yeah. original. But you say that he's been disappointing, but it's, me it's meant that it's been really exciting to watch, yeah. hasn't it? Because whenever the two of them went went solo and dropped, not solo, Geo, um, but dropped uh, Walt Van Aert, mm. my heart sank a little bit. I thought, oh, here we go, Van der Poel. I don't re almost like I don't need to watch the rest of this race. There yeah. is no way Casper Asgreen can get the better of him, and certainly not if it comes down to a sprint, which it did. And I just thought it was so impressive from Asgreen to have mm. that confidence and to wait and to not try to attack too early, to wait and, and to try to beat Vanderpool yeah. in a sprint and and to manage it was was really quite spectacular. I think that stems from the team and Lefebvre mm. and Wilfred Peters and these guys. That that team, I don't they've they've won that race with it I think something like seventeen times since its formation back in um post Mapai, which was Domo. Yeah, it's um quite something. And that that running, that sort of five K running with the likes of Wilfred Peters and Tom Steele's behind, they would have they would have been in his ear. And the mm -hmm. if anything, the pressure was on Vanderpool, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. So Casper so, uh, was incredible. First Danish winner since uh, Rolf Sorensen in 1997. Mm. One more fast man to mention, Mark Cavendish. Have, yeah. Four stages <laughs> at the Tour of Turkey. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know we were all delighted. And we sat to here see last that, year, but... didn't we? Um, with him in tears at Game Wevel Game. Yeah. Yeah. You've been yeah. one of his big cheerleaders, Bradley, and you're well, one of the few I just, who I said that. I think it's great. I, I sent him a message saying, um, I sent him and Peter a message saying, um, back where he should be with a smile on his face. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's his rightful position, you know. And if he does nothing else for the rest of the season, he, he's proved he can win again. Absolutely, yeah. and that's what he needed to do. And I think that's yeah. what. I mean, I wrote a column in Metro newspaper about it where I just feel like we sh we should have been celebrating Mark Cavendish yeah. long before now, yeah. and it sounds ridiculous to say because because it's not like his his yeah. achievements have gone unnoted. But I feel like because of because of the way that he hasn't been winning, I guess, there's been a lot of talk of he's a faded force and all the rest of it. And I just, I love that now we've got, we've got the chance to celebrate his wins and appreciate yeah. his greatness as he's still in it. He looks know? happy again now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. a new spring in his step. And you can tell that by his Instagram videos yeah. and the stories he does. I was thinking yeah. that earlier, actually, yeah. yeah. And he's um he just looks a happy soul. And I think that stems again from the team he's back in. It feels... I don't think the team was right for him the last few years mm. and he looks back at home. Mm. I've got to ask you both, can we see him at the tour? So I really given, hope given so. Sam Bennett. I really hope so. And I hope that he carries on. Him and Sam have been working well together, you know, mm. and I think he'll be a great, he'll be great to have at the tour. Not necessarily as that last lead out man because there's a size difference between the two of them as to whether he can get enough protection, Sam. But Cav, in, imagine Cav and Sam rooming together and just talking all the time about, you know, the where to you know where to pick up points and reading through that mm. race book it would be so useful and i i can't i i would take him yeah from that point of view just from that for mentor sam for the three weeks i don't know how that decision making process goes on to kind of quick step but you would imagine that it should depend on sam really because he's got a green jersey to defend he's shown in algarve just how you know how phenomenally strong yeah. he is and leading from the front for so long in a sprint um so I think it should depend on him. I would take him too, though, and I just think amazing PR for mm. the team. If if they're all aligned, then what an amazing sprint yeah. you've got. And and also, what a great hand to be able to play. Everyone will, of course, be watching Bennett. Cavendish wouldn't be that much of a surprise, but, you know, you've got... It always helps in a sprint to not necessarily know which man you're going to mark, mm. you know? Yeah. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Before the tour, though, the 104th Giro d'Italia, a massive 3,450 kilometres over 21 stages, 
brief dips into Slovenia and Switzerland. Before we get into today's stage, the, the opening time trial, I, I wanted to pick out a couple of stages just looking forwards that are really going to make a difference, starting with perhaps stage 11 and, uh, and a bit of Strada Bianchi. Yeah. Um, we did that in 2010. I think it's been in a couple of times since then, hasn't it? Um, it's 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 going to be unpredictable. It's tough. It's great to watch. Um, there'll be selection of you know choice of wheels and bikes to use, and obviously the weather conditions. Um, it adds that spice to the race, and it's becoming part and parcel of the Giro a bit now. I think you know that that Strada Bianchi it was only I think the race started in 2009, didn't it? The Strada Bianchi young, race. Yeah. Um, it's becoming this. You know the whole the, the the course of the white roads. You know they call it, and it's um. It's really sort of becoming part of the fabric of Italian cycling again now, like it used to be the historically when Fausto Coppi and all these guys used to ride up the hills, which were then white roads. Um, a bit like, you know, the, the the sort of rejuvenation of the cobbled stage in the Tour de France every couple of years. Mm. It's becoming more and more kind of, you know, the, the, the heritage of cycling within France or Italy, that Strada Bianchi is now part of, of, of cycling. It's a historical race and they're integrating it into their grand tours now, which is, is great to see. A bit like in, in the Walters version of it is, um, you know, the kind of um, the, the steep climb at the end of the race that they always, what Hugh won on last year. Um, the Angry Roo was the climb. The Angry Roo. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one. That's the one. <laughs> the Angry, Angry Lou is one of the riders called it, yeah. Where I lost the jersey to, with Chris Froome. That's becoming sort of part of the fabric of... Um, of um, the race. Well, I was going to say they were brown roads when you did it in 2010. <laughs> it was a mudslick, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I went hunger flat that day, 2K to go and lost about three minutes. So um, I wanted to ask you that earlier. Yeah. We were talking about it in the show. Yeah. Do you think that hunger flat was anything to do with the fact that it was the gravel or was no. it just one of those things that it happened? It was raining most of the mm. second part of the stage and I had a jacket, cape on. I think it was quite cold. I had long-fingered gloves, neoprene gloves. And it was just, the racing was just on and your heads were down and we were left and right. There was crashes. It was, it was sliding through sand. <laughs> you just physically didn't have time to eat. Yeah. Lift your rain jacket up and put your hands in your bag and find, and it was just, yeah, it was like that. A bit like Paris-Roubaix. You know, you, you forget to eat sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Stage 14, the hellish arms of the, the Zonkalan and the mm. first time that we will see that side of the mountain yeah. again, Brad, since... 2003. 2003. Yeah, I raced up it with Marco Pantani, Gilberto Simoni, Gazzelli. There was, um, it was an incredible, amazing, amazing um, day. I mean, I, I, all I remember about that day, my memories, only memories of it, was it gets really steep in the final section. It goes mm. off onto a, a service road which goes up to the ski lifts. So we've got the paved road on the other side, which we've been used to seeing the last few years. But this side, it's normal road, and then it goes off onto a service road, if it's still the same, which goes up to the, basically it's a, it's a service road to the um, the motor or the engine room of the ski lift that brings you back down. So it's that, pretty, that tells you something. So when they build a service road, quite often yeah, yeah. it's not a normal road; it just goes straight up the, the quickest way. Yeah. One of my favourite stages to cover. I absolutely love yeah. the Zonkalan, and, and you can't cover it without taking those ski lifts, you know, and, and I just think that always gives me goosebumps when I'm at a when I'm at a stage where to get to the summit, you can't even walk it. There's no point in walking it. You've got to get the chair lift up. That just fills me with awe every time as to what you guys go through. And actually talking of of high mountain stages, the the, the Giro is as ever back heavy in terms of, of vertical kilometers. Four thousand eight hundred meters of climbing on the menu for the penultimate stage. Yeah. Uh, an, an absolute epic to finish. I mean, are we expecting it to come down to the final time trial, or are we expecting the the GC men to have made their mark before then? I think they'd have to... made. I think they'd have made a big difference by then. If we, if if the climbs and if the stages are as hard as we're anticipating, I think it's going to be big time gaps by then. 
And I don't think it's going to be as close as last year. What do you think, Orla? Well, last year was so phenomenally close. Mm. I think it'd be very difficult to come down to that again. But the thing is, you have such a match of riders and it, and it just depends, obviously, on how they mm. get through the first two weeks anyway. But but when you look at the odds for the riders who are up there, you've got like Simon Yates and Egan Bernal are the joint top favourites, then Remco Evenepoel. And then you've got the likes of Vlasov, Sivakov, um, Hugh Carthy. And to me, they're all much of a muchness, really. And then, mm. of course, Almeida and, and Hindley. Almeida maybe not so strong in the third week, but... I feel like we've got a really good match of riders. And after today's stage, they're all in and around the same area, which, you know, stage one is a long, long way off. But I would really hope to see a proper battle. I mean, to be honest, as long as it gets too deep into that third week, it doesn't really matter to me if the time trial is almost decided because we know that anything can happen on a time trial if it's a wet day, for example. But as long as we can get all those big contenders yeah. fighting deep into the mountains, that just that just gets you in the gut, doesn't it? I mean, we say anything can happen, but today ended up to be ended up being, I should say, a very predictable time trial in in one sense. And in ah, another, you say predictable. And in, yeah, Bradley yeah. was the only one who got the prediction and, right. And in, well, <laughs> and in another, it was an absolutely explosive way to start a grand yeah. tour, eight point six kilometers around yeah. around Turin. Um, Jumbo Visma really lit it up before Filippo Ganna. Yeah, your pick. And eight, you know, Filippo was he do eight minutes forty something? I mean, so it's eight point six kilometers. He's done it in eight minutes forty. It shows you the eight, speed. Eight forty seven. Yeah, it, it shows you the speed yeah. they were travelling. Yeah, close to sixty kilometers an hour the whole way round. And he he was ten seconds as well to win by at those speeds. It's, it's quite something. But yeah, I mean, Vlasov. I mean, he, he, there was a few riders that did some fantastic, you know, um, performances. Riders that were off the pace as well. But the one for me as well is um, Remco Evenepoel, seventh today. Seventh today, 19 yeah. seconds off the pace. Nine months, no racing. Broken femur, broken pelvis. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's first Grand Tour. First Grand first Tour. First race of the season. Still 20, 21 <laughs> years of age. Is he 22 now? 20? No, he's still 21, I think. 21. 21. Yeah. <laughs> so so last, last person to take Amazing. on a Grand Tour without any uh, competitive racing in their legs was, and Dylan Grunewagen's doing the same. Yeah, exactly. Tom Dumoulin, wasn't but, it? I think it was David Miller in 2006 mm. after coming back from his Of course it was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Taking on the tour. And that was two years away, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah. So, yeah. What uh, I'm really glad about today is that all everyone stayed upright, that we still have a battle. What I really, what I get really disappointed by is the end of day one when one of the big contenders or two of the big contenders crash out. Even if they continue racing, you just mm. know those injuries are going to niggle. So I'm really glad that we've got, we've got a full complement of contenders going into stage two. But I tell you what, Jumbo Visma... Truly. I mean, you look at, I know Eduardo, Eduardo Afino, um second, which was phenomenal, but Tobias Force as well. I think we've really got to watch out for him. Young Former rider, yeah. Tour de l'Avenir winner. He was yeah. fifth in the opening time trial last year. I kicked myself for not mentioning him in the pre-show, but he's a, he's, he's a really mature, mm. grounded rider. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Yumbo Visma, three riders in the top 10 today, yeah. and they don't even have their A team here. So, Well, I was saying to Dan Lloyd before, when, when we were watching the, uh, the, the live coverage, um, Yumbo Visma have got very much a B team here, really, very com compared much so to what they're they going to take that. to the tour. Yeah. And yet, like you say, Ola, uh, Afini and Foss at 10 seconds and then 13 seconds, two Afini, of the top yeah, three. Yeah, not Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't deliberately pick you up on that. You're, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't nitpicking. I promise. No, you should be. You should be correcting me. It's good. It's <laughs> um, good. But it just goes to show we weren't expecting him up yes, there today. I haven't yeah. even looked at. Um, yeah. And João Almeida. Um, I mean, I think he'll be happiest of the the GC men um, in in at, in at four on seventeen seconds. Uh, yeah. Uh, beating Cavagna. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, I, I think he's he learned a lot from last year. I mean, we were talking about him nearly winning the thing last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was only a first year professional last year, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Second year yeah. professional. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, second year pro. And I, I think he'll be up there a lot this year. I think he'll be on the podium. I think he's um, he'll be battling with Remco, obviously, for that for that GC. But, well, they've um, got joint leadership, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be such a great race. It's so hard to call at this stage. You know? Yeah, it really is. Um, so I, I just want to dwell on Cavagna there for a second too, because you know, I think we were looking at the course today, thinking that it probably suited Ghana better. But Cavagna at the Tour de Romandie has shown that that um, Ghana is beatable, even though very very different scenario when it's cold, when it's wet, particularly that that final time trial at Romandie when you've got a week's racing in your legs. Um, and Ghana's just shown today, you know. A flat course when he's had a week's rest, just how much better he can be yeah. when the conditions are right. I said earlier it was um, it's quite contradiction in it that it's it's not a, it's a, it's a good marker for some riders, it's not a good marker for others. For someone like Vincenzo Nibali, it's his it could he could win the thing or he could finish last, and he'll have no reflection on how he does or how he's going for the three weeks. Someone like um, uh, Roman Bardet, I think it's more quite a reflection on him to see where he's at for mm. that product. And I think, I don't know, I'm not trying to work out if that's more of a mental or a physical thing, but lots of riders are really affected by the performance in the prologue time trial mentally. They overthink things. They overthink, oh, am I going well? They'll scan the result sheets in the evening and see where they are in comparison to the riders they thought they should be around. Um, and I get the sense that Bardet's kind of like that a little bit, kind of over, especially as he's been off the ball for a couple mm. of years now. He finished um, 52 seconds down today. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. do you expect from him? I'd, I'd love to see him up there again. I think he's a great rider. I think he's a good lad. He's just, I don't know, he almost outstayed his welcome at mm. La Mondiale for a few years. You know, the French, he can get into a bit of a rut there, a bit like Pino has done. Mm, mm, mm. You know, sometimes it's good to get out of the French teams and, and almost... Um, and I'd have the Tour de France as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's good to see him here, actually. Pino had some be some of his better performances at the Giro, mm -hmm. didn't he? Um, yeah, it's a shame not to see him here. Yeah, he's got a bad back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's always got a bad back, hasn't he? What? You know, yeah. Well, I, I, is he? What are we expected from him? Is he finished? Too much foam rolling, I think. <laughs> um, I hope he's not done. I love him no, so I like him. much. I like he's him. beautiful to watch. He's beautiful and he's tragic and he's he's, he's a romantic rider. Isn't he? Oh, he's a romantic he's rider and yeah. he tugs at your heart and yeah. even just even watching him cry just fills my heart. I just yeah, I love him. I love. I him. wasn't expecting this sort of soliloquy. <laughs> this is this is excellent. <laughs> Um, he's not even right. You don't really get this depth of feeling sometimes. <laughs> no, it's a bit um, like Jean-Michel Pepin. He <laughs> <laughs> reminds um, me. Brad, how do you prepare as a, as a GC man? I mean, going back to 2010 for yeah, you. I mean, depends, how do you prepare yeah. for a, a, an opening stage like this, a short time trial? You won it for yeah. Team Sky in 2010, yeah. taking the pink jersey, your first Grand Tour for Sky. Um, I mean... How do you approach it, first of all, like I asked? And second, was was the pressure on you particularly? Yeah, the pressure was on me because I was a world Olympic pursuit champion and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was time trialing was my thing. So as well as going for GC, I had the pressure of uh, I could win the opening stage and replicate what Brad McGee did and the like, you know, Chris Boardman. Um, but with the, with the element of going for GC as well. So it's a very difficult one. I had to compromise the GC really in the, in the days before and the week before in focusing specifically on the team and the individual time trial. And that would include, you know, sort of six days out, a dress, a full on dress rehearsal where three days before that dress rehearsal, you freshened up to the extent like a track event, which means that for sort of nine or 10 days going into the grand tour, you were not doing any, um, sort of long rides and stuff because you were, it was all about that. And that affects you then two or three weeks into the race. Um, whereas when I won the tour, funny enough, I, um, I didn't do any preparation for the prologue time trial. It was all about the tour, and I still got second. So, it, 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 but back then it was we were still very much in a, in a track mindset coming off of British cycling. Um, 
Whereas, as I say, if you're if you're going for GC, you know, you'll still be doing like a four or five hour ride on the Wednesday before the prologue on the Saturday. Uh, someone like Vincenzo Nibali would have done two hours this morning before the prologue, probably done an hour afterwards because he's in in mode for that. Whereas Ganna or myself, when I when I won the prologue, it was literally 20 minutes on the rollers in the morning, much like a track event, 20 minute warm up and out the door and explode. Probably no warm down either if you win because you get straight to the podium and the relief and everything. So the next day you're quite drained emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big mental challenge and a big mental effort that you put in for a prologue day. Um, because the mental energy you exert and burn is is probably just as important as the physical energy, um, and that's why the likes of Nibali and that went off quite early in the day today. They just take it in their stride and get on with it. You know, a forty second loss or a fifty second loss to someone like Ghana is is not going to end up you know huge in, in three weeks' time. What else might have jaded you the following day after that podium celebration? Well, you have a few drinks in the evening, <laughs> celebrate. Yeah, Did I you? mean, I got a Magnum, and I just remember trying to be funny. Magnum of champagne, not yeah, the ice cream. Yeah, I tried to drink it on the podium. The, <laughs> the whole, whole thing. the whole thing. Yeah. How much did you get through? The whole thing. Did you? You did it. You did it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I did <it> afterwards. But... <laughs> yeah, but it's usually one glass in the evening. Yeah, and it was a huge tea, relief to win that. You know, take the first Grand Tour jersey and the first Grand Tour for Sky. With all of that pressure around that team, it was as well, my best, one of my best executed performances with my worst form. Mm. <laughs> um, I won by two seconds from Brent Bookwalker. Brent Bookwater. Bookwater. Yeah. And Cav never let me forget that. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, he goes, You had to win that, lad. Because imagine if you got beat by Brent Bookwater. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brent. Yeah, he's, like, he's a really nice lad. But it wasn't Brent's like. still riding. It wasn't beating, yeah, exactly. Wasn't, no, but at yeah. the time, I, what his point was, it wasn't like beating Cancellara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was you know. <laughs> Who else? Some bloke no one's ever heard of at the time, which was what Cav's words were. (laughs) Cadell Evans to complete the podium that day? I'm going from memory. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. That was like two seconds, three seconds. It wasn't like 10 seconds over. Yeah. You know, so that shows you how bad form I was in. Yeah. All right. Uh, More from the Bradley Wiggins show after this. Zwift is the world's training playground, Brad, where fun takes you further, recreating the outdoor feel of riding on an indoor trainer, something you can get on board with, I think. It does, yeah, and Zwift have done it very well, and they're now the leaders, aren't they, in that world, and um, they've got the likes of Geraint Thomas on board, and, you know, probably can't get... Your old mate, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, they, they got, did some involvement with Team Wiggins a few years ago, we joined in one of their shops, Pinarello shop um, races one night, and... My son uses it. I watch him during the winter months. Um, it's something I wish I'd had when I was 15. Definitely just to, from, a, from a safety point of view when you didn't want to let your kids out on the road in the dark. And, and anyone can use it. So, it, you know, you don't, yeah. have to be, you don't have to be G. You don't have to be a pro. You can train with thousands of, of real train, people. Yeah. Like, you can train with anyone. You can ride with anyone um, from the world of pro cycling or from your workplace or school, whatever age you are. Brad, like you say, most of the pros on the World Tour train on Swift. Yeah, hop on any time, heart pumping, intense cycling, join group rides, events and worldwide races. Um, Zwift has nine worlds too, including the stunning Paris and France maps. They've recreated Tour de France stages, um, which gives everyone a chance to experience them. You don't have to have been Bradley Wiggins to experience what it's like to ride at the Tour de France. Uh, You can hit your kilometres with virtual dinosaurs, raging waterfalls, you can be inside a volcano, uh, James Bond-esque, a wide open California desert, plus you can tour London landmarks. All you need is a bike, trainer and Zwift app. Uh, you can get a free seven-day trial, Brad, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, sponsored by Zwift, where fun is fast. Unless you've got no brakes. 
Brad Orla. <laughs> I'd like to dwell. And it's terrifying. <laughs> I'd like to dwell for a moment on Filippo Ganna. Um, already five stages in his Giro d'Italia career, having won four last year, the three time trials, of course. Um, but he also showed that he can win road stages too with that breakaway, somewhat unexpected at the time. He's only 24. Perhaps it's a bit early to ask this question, but could he beat? Does he have the potential to beat Mario Cipollini's all-time record of forty-two? He does. I mean, you I mean he'll. Have We're doing to do a cav on him, aren't we? Though? We're going to have him cursed now yeah, forevermore. I mean, chasing Mercedes. <laughs> it doesn't record, matter. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. He's not a sprinter. Um, Cipollini was in an era where you know the Italian is predominantly an Italian race with a couple of wild cards from other countries, and it was the first era. And of the he ruled train. the peloton. Yeah, I mean, I remember doing the two thousand three. We were in Sicily on stage two. We were going up this mountain, I think Vesuvio or somewhere like that, down the other side. And it was guaranteed to be a sprint if no one attacked up the climb. He went to the front with Mario Shirea and um, Bramati, and they just sat up like that across the road, put their arms in the air and said, no one attacked. We rode up this thing for an hour down the other side, and Cipollini won. Actually, Cipollini didn't win. Pataki won. Um, that wouldn't happen now, you know, and Chippo, they, that was sort of the mafia and dominated the race and, um, it's a different era. So in some ways, if Ghana does it, that's quite some achievement. And is he going to move on to things like the Tour de France and, you know, mm-hmm. will the Giro be his, pro, you know, his, his priority? Whereas back then, you know, with Aqua Saponi, Mercatone Uno and all that, it was, that was their priority. It was, that's where they made their bread and butter and that's where the sponsors, it was their world championship. Apparently, before so the Zonkalan that year, two thousand and three, Cipollini didn't make it up the Zonkalan. He 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 got off his bike he as he as he was wont to do. Yeah, he um, crashed the day before, I think, in a rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, coming yeah. into the finish. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Chippo had a mountain bike waiting for him at the bottom of the Zonkalan. Really? Is this true? Was you there? Well, I wasn't there. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was a young seven-year-old boy. <laughs> oh, the best clothing. stories are the ones that are completely unsourced. Though. Yeah, I don't know actually on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember when he did retire in two thousand five. Um, he turned up at the Giro and wanted to go off last man in the prologue, <laughs> which he did. Like after the last rider went, they, he, he, he went off in a pink suit and rode down <laughs> waving to the crowd. It was his retirement lap of honour. I love how away. Cipollini Cipollini is. Like, doing there's what no he's one, doing. There's no one else like him. Like no. follow him on Instagram. I'm sure no. you both do. And, and his posts could not be from anyone else. I just love how much he encapsulates yeah. himself. Yeah. You know, so I think even if Ghana goes on to even touch his record, he won't be posting topless selfies on Instagram in his 50s yeah. looking like that, you know? You know Mario C- 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 Mario. From, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Mario was at Seiko, the team back then when Cipollini was riding. So Mario started his, you know, his swan year in career at Seiko when Cipollini was there, I think, or Liquigas, wherever, wherever Mario was working. And Cipollini would insist on having this specific marmalade from Tuscany every day, a jar of marmalade that his swan year had to get for him. He had his own swan year. It had to be an unopened one every day, brand new. Someone had one day someone had opened his marmalade and apparently he came in and Mario said, My God, Brad, he picked the marmalade up. He threw this thing across the restaurant, smash everybody swearing, cuts off five figure marks. And um the way he tells this story, but Mario apparently was really volatile and you know, he could like unpredictable, could turn up at breakfast dressed as a mushroom, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> oh Bradley. No, he was volatile. Like you you had a reputation when you were racing. I just wish you I wish you had stories to match that. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, I've got some great ones. Yeah, I, know, I, I told you, you to piss off one day. <laughs> one day, one day, many times. <laughs> but you didn't do a dress as a mushroom, no. that's the point. There you go. Podcast Pete tells me that the the mountain bike story for Cipollini is 100% accurate. 
Um, and apparently what does podcast a, Pete know? It was a protest. Podcast it was a protest about, against the barbarity of the stage. But he's spoken about it, uh, is how Pete knows. Um, so so Cipollini is... The mushroom one's better anyway. <laughs> Don't believe a word he says. This is a man who put a bet on the Norwegian team to win the Curling World Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Little plug for you before we go on. Um, Cipollini's story is the subject of our latest Recycle podcast from Eurosport, an epic two-parter that takes in all the flair, flamboyance, as, as Ola mentioned, and drama. Um, from Chippo's colourful career, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Brad, one for you. You'll be downloading. I certainly will be. Yeah. A couple of the favourites, um, talking of the, the big names, um, a couple of the favourites that we haven't yet mentioned for this yeah. year's Giro. Simon Yates. Orla, where do you see Yates in terms of where he's at now, having, had, having been so dominant at the Tour of the Alps? He's 28 years old. He's out-and-out leader for Bike Exchange. He's had... A, uh, a curious relationship with the Giro sort of mm. so far, having led for 13 stages in 2018, cracked in the final week. We saw that epic ride from, from Froome, of course. An underwhelming eighth place in uh, uh, 2019. Um, and then he exited the race early last year because COVID. of testing positive for COVID. Yeah. he At this stage, he's my favourite. Now that comes um, with the caveat that there are so many question marks over so many other people. So... Egan Bernal, we've no idea what his back is like. And he hasn't ridden a full Grand Tour since the Tour de France that he won 2019. Two years. Um, Remco Evenepoel, we've got absolutely no idea. Um, and then I think the others are sort of lumped together, really. So for me, Yitz is a favourite. His form at the Tour of the Alps, everybody has said it, but his dominance in stage two was 2018 Giro d'Italia riding vintage. He was phenomenal. Um and I think that his experience and history with this race can only stand him in good stead. He's not coming. He's not going to be coming in all cocky, thinking that he can do it because he nearly did in 2018. He has grown into his confidence, though, and he's not afraid of saying anymore that he's favourite. We saw that last yeah. year. Um, he's not going to be thrown by disappointment because he has been, dis been disappointed here. He's got a phenomenal team around him. He's got Matt White in charge as well, who... Um, who knows what he's doing and, and knows Yates so well. For me, given the form that he's had, given his age, actually, and we talk a lot about um, the young ones coming through, but given his age and, and experience, Simon Yates, for me, is the favourite right now. You spoke to Whitey? Uh, I spoke to him sporadically through the winter. They were... Um, Whitey's as still as passionate as he was when I was racing at Garmin. Where does he get that energy? He he's is just, though, isn't um, he? Yeah, I mean, he just loves it, you know. And every time I, he did message me, he'd say, you know, look, oh, I can't wait, mate. Just can't wait for it. You know? It's like, <laughs> we've got three months yet, mate. You know, he's like, he's just, no, I can't wait to get mate. Get on the bike, you know. He's just, um, he just, he's just, he's just, yeah, oozes. And I think that rubs off on those mm. guys. And he's brilliant for Simon. Uh, Simon's got unfinished business here. Mm. I think he's... Um, I just love his, how cool and calm and collected he is. Nothing phases him. Mm -hmm. You know, he could have a bad performance one day, he'll get up the next and have another go. And I, I really do hope, I'd love to see him win it. I really think he deserves it. And obviously to add to his world tour. Because he was so dominant three years ago now. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and but for, and it's hard to say, but but for an, an amazing and magnificent Chris Froome on the last day, would he have cracked under that pressure? Or they've just sort of, you know, it's Well, so I hard. think he went so deep every day, didn't he? It yeah. was... It was when the when the crack came and it's easy in hindsight, but it was all it felt inevitable. Yeah, because he did go so deep. But it, but to me still, it's some of the the most magnificent Grand Tour racing I've ever it seen. Was I just I loved yeah. how he got on it every yeah. single day and pushed as hard as he could. But the Giro's done that, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If you remember Krausvik hitting on the Garvia, mm -hmm. 
when uh, Nibali came back from three minutes down, um, of course, Primoz two years ago with the whole urine stop with the wheel change. And it's always good. It's always brilliant. Teo last year. Yeah. Back to Simon Yates briefly. The last person, the last rider to win a pre-Giro stage race and then go on to win the Giro itself. So obviously Yates has won the, the Tour of the Alps, formerly the, the Giro del Trentino, which might give you a, yeah. a little clue. You, you So you rode this race in 2013. Yeah. Vincenzo Nibali. He won it, yeah. He won it. Yeah. Um, he also won Torreno. Um, and I mean, does that, d- does that tell you something? We don't really know where Nibali is. What it tells is. you is he won the Giro. <laughs> hey, <right there. laughs> no. But you don't, you don't have to be coming into it on red hot form. I mean, is, um, is, is I don't know. I would say it. sometimes you do a bit different to the Tour. The only one who hasn't is probably Chris Froome the last time when he came in and rode himself in. But someone like Chris is the only person who could do that, as magnificent as he is as an athlete. Someone like Simon, I think he'll want to be on it straight away. And that punchy riding style and that, you know, I think he he really is. Because this is what I always find really interesting, having never been a bike rider, never been a bike racer, I should say. This whole concept of not coming in red hot and coming in undercooked, as everybody likes to say. I was just thinking of you riding around bloody Buckingham Palace that time on the bike. <laughs> oh, Brad, don't. Oh, no, don't you talk about pictures of that the last time. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get you both to post oh, these on man. your social channels oh, so we can see exactly sh- what Brad's talking I should explain about. this is for the Team Sky launch in 2000. It was the very, very start of 2010. It was minus five, wasn't it? <laughs> it was minus five. I didn't even have a bike at the time, so I had no Lycra. I remember borrowing a friend's you husband's like a helmet. You like competition winner, did you? <laughs> did. Okay. I did. I wore, I wore like um, high street ballet pumps um, oh. and dressed all in black because I hoped that then that would make me inconspicuous. I wore a puffer jacket, a grey puffer, puffer jacket. And I remember riding, riding down the mall, interviewing Bradley live on Sky News on the mall and thinking, I think I've pulled this off. I think nobody's noticed it won't. It won't. Back, it definitely won't come back to haunt you. <laughs> definitely won't come back to haunt me. And then Bradley dug out a picture of it at the dinner table of the Tour de France two years yeah. ago. Oh my life! That was eleven anyway, years ago. That was a vintage look. What were we saying? I've never been a bike racer. Anyway, yeah, that was it. Fascinating. We, we were on Vincenzo Nibali. Yeah. Well, we were on this concept of being undercooked, which I don't. I don't even like the, the concept of it. I think it's over. I think it's such a cliche. But yeah. um, you saying that you don't need to come into the Giro d'Italia building into form. What is all that building into form? I mean, I well, get it that yeah. the third week is, is harder, but surely you come into the race as, as yeah. in as good a form as you can be. So you, you used know? to, so like I said, when you, you you create workload and create damage and create fatigue and, and then you back off and you recruit and you neurally recruit and everything in your muscles and all the work you've done. So to do, to recruit the gains from training, you have to rest. Once you do that, then you hit top form. Ideally, that's the sort of general thesis of kind of... Uh, and how long can you maintain that top form for, arguably? Well, three weeks, yeah. I mean, mm. well, long, as long as you keep feathering it. But we, over the years, like, particularly got Chris Froome would train into the Giro and not back off and recruit and mm. kind of recover. Because once you do that, so keep an element of fatigue, which sounds strange in it. It's, it's sort of an underlying residual fatigue that, that you then... Main, so you basically ride at sort of 90%, 85% for the whole thing, rather than starting at 100 and the fresher you are, the more damage you can do. So you go too deep into reserves because you're too fresh, you then have a massive sort of payback for that, really. So that's kind of the sort of simplest way of trying to explain it. And to win a prologue, you have to recruit every little last watt of energy. So you have to you have to back off and be as fresh as possible. Now, when you do back off, lots of riders feel quite blocked or don't feel good because they've not opened up enough. But is it, there's a disproportionality as how you feel and how you go. Feels got nothing to do with it. You could win the race. No one ever wins a race as I felt great. 
in a prologue anyway. It was the hurts and it, it's mm. it's worst thing experience you ever go through, particularly in a pursuit or something. But you look at the numbers afterwards, it's like, God, I did a PB. It, it's it's just got, you, know, you can't correlate it with how you feel. Um, and that's kind of what they've worked through in Grand Tours, particularly at Sky under Tim Kerrison, is this kind of training and racing under fatigue, but backing off enough, backing off too much that you get a massive sort of, it's like pulling an elastic band with training and then letting go with it and seeing how much form you get mm. the other side. One more for you. We we mentioned him briefly earlier, Hugh Carthy. Yeah. His form has has not been brilliant. But, but it wasn't we... great going into the Volta mm. last no. year. And it's not been bad. He's there. It's, it's not been bad. He's, so he's, yeah. he's, he's performed well at the Basque Country, for example. Well, let's see in three weeks' time. I think he's going to be a big player in this race. I'd like to mention the sprinters too, and specifically Dylan, uh, Dylan Grunewagen. Yeah back after his nine-month ban um, for his actions in the sprint at the Tour of Poland that, of course, famously caused Fabio yeah. Jakobsen's horror crash. Grunewagen has said he's here to win a stage. Um, we've, we've talked briefly about how strong Jumbo Visma are looking. Are they in for a bit of both? Are they in for GC as well as in for Grunewagen in the sprints? Can, do, with, with what we've established is, is probably their B team. Can Do they have the capacity to do that? Well, they'll have a go. I mean, they might just designate one or two riders to, to Dylan. But um, I think it, a lot of it will depend on Dylan, really. He'll want to feel his legs and see how he's sort of... I guess they won't want to put too much pressure on him, will they? Mm. Because he, until he gets into that, that sort of boiling pan tomorrow in that last 510k, how he's going to feel, it might be a very strange experience for him. They've and had to treat this one really carefully. They've him well, though, and they, they seem both, to have looked really after him well. Him. Yeah, and I've I've spoken to Richard Plucher, the team manager, an awful lot about this actually over the last year, and he has said how, you know, I asked him how do you, how do you look after Grunewald during all of this because because it's been a terrible time for him, and I and I don't apologise for being sympathetic because what happened in the Tour of Poland was not much worse than what happens in a lot of sprints. The consequences, to my mind, were much more down to the race organisers than anything else. Um, but he's had death threats and he's had endless abuse. And Plucha said, all we can do is be there for him and let him know that we're there for him. We can't impose ourselves upon him to take any help. But he knows that he's got our backing. And I guess the fact they're bringing him back to the Giro d'Italia as soon as he can come back to racing is evidence of the fact that they are supporting him. I don't think they would bring him here unless they believed he could win a sprint and unless they wanted him to win a sprint and if they want him to win a sprint they're going to work for him the thing is sprint trains aren't what they used to be they're not as as necessary as they used to be and Grunewagen's a kind of sprinter like most top sprinters who can jump on the back of anyone else's train and, and take a win I think it's going to be brilliant for him if he does and I think just being able to talk about a win rather than all of this other stuff that's been happening will be really positive for him. And Bradley, you mentioned in the show earlier how he's gone through so much in terms of his yeah. premature baby and there's been an awful lot of uncertainty there. I can't imagine the psychological journey that he's been on in the last year. And for no. that alone, I just, I really, really hope to see him winning, you no. know, just as, as another human being who's been through an awful lot and not all of it his fault. Yeah, and he's still having to ask questions yeah, about it, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. And he's still sort of almost sort of tarnished a little bit as um, not the victim in all this. I mean, there's, there's it's just a tragic, tragic circumstances that arose and um you know no one you know they're, they're both victims in my eyes for different reasons and um obviously there's still this sort of element of controversy about who's said sorry to who they've both gone through very very different things mm. um and you just don't know what's going on in their heads as to the maybe the resentment each one would have mm. for their own reasons for each other um 
you know, it's, it's and it can't be forced upon them that he's so, as he said, sorry, yeah, it's like, but it's only nine months. You have no idea what they've gone through psychologically, mental health wise. Um, and it's, um, they're still having to talk about it and, uh, and justify themselves, you know, a little well, bit. They were supposed to have had a, a private meeting this week um, that turned out not to be so private after Grinnevegan came out and, and spoke about it publicly. Um, and Jakobsen's reaction has, has, has been to, to counter that and say, Grunewagen hasn't offered a personal apology or taken responsibility for his actions, um, and and has, has then gone on to say the content of the content of this meeting was supposed to stay confidential um, yeah. between What's the two of us and our legal teams. They they have the same agent, or at least they certainly did last year, and I think they still do. So um, that's an interesting um, dynamic. But you know, I I wonder, you know, did the tour of Poland ever apologise? I haven't seen. Yeah, it. but I mean, I mean, you know. Dylan will have his own reasons. He may not feel that he has to take responsibility for and his actions. And it could be legal reasons. You know, if yeah. he offers that was a personal my feeling, apology, yeah. then then does then that make accepting, him legally culpable? Yeah. Exactly. And, like, and that's really difficult. If there are legal proceedings ongoing, then, yeah. you know, it's much more difficult to admit that you've taken responsibility for something if it's got legal repercussions. He might be personally sorry. And responsibility for what? Mm. You know, he's, yeah. he's not saying, he's not not saying sorry that he, what happened to Jakobsen from a, from a, from a physical point of view, of course that go, that he doesn't, we don't need to validate that someone's going to say sorry for that because it was horrendous. Um, but, whether he's being forced into a position that he has to say, I, I purposely swerved across the road mm. and I'm sorry for that. There's an apology in that, that he might, there's not, there might not be an admittance from his point of view that that was just sprinting. I'm not going to apologize for something. It's like saying, well, you, you know, you hit, stabbed me with a knife and you intended to do that. Well, I didn't intend to do it, but I can't, if I apologize, I'm, I'm almost admitting that I did it on purpose. I think and the there's lots of things that we don't know about, you know, and it's getting reported back through, through the media and stuff. It's it's very complicated, and I, I I find it funny that it took this long for this week to have a personal meeting. Especially, like I say, because they do have the same. And I agent. think that they were preempting some sort of press mm. that they were going to get asked mm. these questions on the Giro, but they might not be ready for that individually. With what I, they've been I just through. think it's a huge, huge, huge shame, a huge shame that still the race organisers have not come out and said that this was wrong, we were wrong, and this is what we're going to do to make sprinting safer in the future because it wasn't just the barriers that weren't tied down, even though they're claiming they were. I mean, what force you'd need to go through those to be able to untie them. But a downhill sprint, we don't need it. We do not need the extra element of danger. Sprinting is dangerous enough, and that is what we love about it. It's what the riders love about it. It's what attracts sprinters to it. We don't need to add in extra bits and pieces here and there. We need to make sure that sprints are safe so that riders can go at their top speed, we can get the best racing we can possibly imagine, and they know if anything happens that their welfare is being protected. And if that's not the case, then that's a, sh that's a shame. And I don't mean it's a pity. I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame on the race. Hopefully we will see a safe sprint tomorrow, stage two, uh, 179 kilometres into Novara. Uh, first chance uh, in the race for the sprinters, if not Grunewagen tomorrow, or in fact, maybe you are back in Grunewagen tomorrow. Who's your pick? I'd Brad? love to see Grunewagen win. I think it'd be a great return. It might be a big ask, um, but I'm going to say that um, Gaviria, another Amanda man Gaviria. on the comeback. Yeah. yeah, all right, under the radar. Yeah. I like that. Orla? Um, it depends on the on the weather conditions. If there's anything of a headwind, I go for Caleb Ewan. Um, I'm going to go big though. I'm going to go Grunewagen on his first day back. I'm going to 
Yumbo Visma are going to be buoyed yeah. tonight, you know, yeah. after their performance today. They're going to be, it's going to be a good atmosphere in their hotel, team hotel tonight. And I think they'll want to do everything possible to get him to the line first tomorrow. So um, That's I'm a lot of pressure on him though, isn't it? Sitting there going, hey, it's my first race back and I have to... Uh, <laughs> but he's not going to want to just sidle into oh, this, Jesus, is he? Man, you know, he'll know as well. That's how he gets a monkey off his back. Exactly. That's yeah. how he gets on yeah, that. And he'll, he'll, be, he'll be, he'll be yeah, itching time. for that tomorrow. Big, big time, huh? Uh, I'm going to go for Tim Merlier. That's stupid, huh? <laughs> Probably, but let's see. He's got a win coming this year. Uh, I mean, he will win a stage in this year. Al- Alpes and Phoenix are, are all in for him. Yeah. So, um, And if not him, possibly Peter Sagan, we should mention. <laughs> you almost forget, didn't you? Man. Yeah, you forget he's there. Yeah. Peter's like yeah, sort of yesterday's man, isn't he? But still such a class act. Yeah. On his day, could produce the Peter of four or five years ago. He, I, I imagine him winning at least a stage yeah, of this year. Definitely. Maybe a hillier one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Than a yeah. than a flat one. Like it's not all flat tomorrow. You've got the um, climb at the in the first half. But um, he's. I think he's got to win in him he will. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We look forward to finding out. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Orla, welcome back. Great to have you back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been lovely. Brad, thank you. Thank you, Graham. As ever. Uh, Gorn, where can we follow you both on social media? Where can we find these pictures of Orla <laughs> riding around Buckingham Palace? <laughs> Hidden in the depths of uh, one of our phones. Never Google, to, never to Orla Shinnery, <laughs> Team Sky launch, don't, 2010 don't. London. It took us a long time to find them, Bradley. So I'm hoping that, oh, mm. Lemonek. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to do it for you if you're not going to at Sports Aller is where hopefully we can find these images. Yeah. Um, Brad, as ever. Yeah, thank you. At Sir Wigo. Uh, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to our producer, Pete Burton. Pete Burton. Thanks, Pete. Strapping in for another grand three weeks. <laughs> and finally from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, Good share on. your thoughts and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Plenty of action to look forward to coming up on Eurosport, where we can join you and GCM Plus, where we can join you both tomorrow. Uh, Orla, looking forward to that. Thanks again for joining us. And Brad, thank you. We'll see you for the pod tomorrow. Brilliant. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.